I don't know the numbers, and I don't think anybody has numbers, but there were massive amounts of people killed. It was taken over in a very violent takeover. The course of Palestine, I really struggle to understand what's going on. The course of Palestine makes as much sense as cows from McDonald's or chickens for KFC. No way. No way. Yeah. All were murdered. All murdered. Hello, mates. Great to have you back listening to the 5-8 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest by the name of Dr. Dovid Slavin. Dr. Slavin is a prominent rabbi here in Sydney who, alongside his wife, founded a charity organization called Our Big Kitchen. OBK is a community-run, non-denominational industrial kitchen where meals are prepared for distribution to people who need to be fed across Sydney. Last year alone, the kitchen made over 120,000 meals that were distributed to disadvantaged Australians. Not only that, the kitchen has become quite a prominent kitchen in Sydney. It has people there from the likes of Chris Mims, who's the current PM, to Kevin Rudd and Malcolm Turnbull and other political leaders, as well as celebrities like Mike Tyson. In this episode, we'll be discussing the process that Rabbi Slavin had in building the kitchen, why he did it, and also a bit of his background coming from New York over to Australia. Now, we couldn't have the rabbi on without discussing what is going on in the Middle East. So in the middle of this discussion, we do touch on Israel and Palestine. The rabbi gives his perspective on the conflict. Now, it may be distressing and triggering for some listeners, but Keep an open mind. This is a civil discussion. You will get his point of view on what is happening. Beyond that, we also discuss some philosophical matters. We also discuss some of the programs that OBK runs, like singles nights, like having corporations like KPMG, you know, JP Morgan, Qantas come into the center to cook food for the homeless. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are listening to this on Spotify, Apple, make sure you give us a five-star review. We'll appreciate that. If you're watching this, make sure you like, subscribe, and comment your thoughts below. If you enjoy the conversation, let us know. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, LoanOptions.ai. Without them... This episode, this podcast wouldn't possibly be continuing and going on. So we do appreciate our sponsors. Go to loanoptions.ai slash 5A if you are looking for a business loan. They will help you every step of the way. Just put the amount, how much you're looking for, and their platform will give you the best lenders for your needs. Go to loanoptions.ai slash 58. This is a business that we believe in and we truly appreciate their support. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. You're listening to the 58 Tech, Australia's podcast. Life is too short to complain. The only pain you suffer is the pain you create yourself. See you on the other side. I'm right. being filmed over here, so keep the noise down. Please close the door. I'm being filmed. Okay. <laughs> it's coming down.
They come down, they come down. Thank you, George. You have time. So our big kitchen started with a husband being me, trying to keep his wife happy. And trying is the operative word because it's an ongoing process. I hear the goal, that. The goalposts <laughs> keep moving, Diego. So it's not, it's not, you never get quite done. So my wife began her career as a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. Hairdressing took her to wigs. And while the clients loved the work she was doing, she found very little fulfillment in it. And she was going to give up. And that was until she met a woman going through chemo. Right. And suddenly a new world opened up for her. Mm -hmm. Because while she couldn't cure the people, and she couldn't help them financially, which they were all in that sort of situation. She could make them feel good about themselves and look good and keep them in the fight. Mm -hmm. Now, when a woman goes through chemo, they look in the mirror and they say, why am I feeling sick and vomiting for the person in the mirror who I really recognize? If they look good, they feel good, they, they're in the fight. Mm. So that's what started. And um, now every hairdresser is a therapist. And um, when she would ask them, how are you managing dinners? became a very big issue. And they refused to take food from her until she came up with a white lie. The lie went like this, I have three dinners I cooked, we have leftovers and my husband ordered. So we have three dinners, it's gonna be a disaster. If you take one of our dinners, it'll really make it easier for all of us. So here the client needs food and the hairdresser's got three dinners. So, and we ended up with no dinner, having cold sandwiches again, okay? First couple of times we feel very idealistic, it's great. I'm having a cold sandwich because a family who really needs a hot dinner are getting it. Mm -hmm. But then our pots got bigger and the volunteers became more and friends and what have you. And very soon the food became a lot bigger than the wigs. So I decided we're gonna borrow a commercial kitchen. Now many kitchens which are busy in the evenings, during the day they're empty. We got a big team of 18 people. And we set up our first cooking. Mm -hmm. We're gonna solve the food problem once and for all. It was really during that, that cooking that I saw three things. Number one, the incredible production that you can produce with such large groups. Mm. The output becomes huge. Yeah. Also, the throughput, what happens while you're cooking, is a great, great atmosphere. But most of all, I never saw my wife as happy as I did that day. And I knew this is not going to be the last time. And um, when she came over to me, towards the end saying, thanks for doing the logistics and organizing it, I loved it. And her first question was, when are we doing this again? And I was mid-thought and I said, never. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave me this look that they teach you in wife school. You know? <laughs> she looked at me like, well, who did I marry sort of thing? And I said, let me explain. <laughs> if we do this, we're gonna build a kitchen so that we and others can do this every single day. Mm. Uh, that is how our kitchen was born. At the time I was reading a book and a man whose name was Shah Jahan. Shah Jahan was a Mongol ruler who lived in Northern India. And when his wife Mumtaz Mahal passed away, mm. he built a building that the world today calls the Taj Mahal. And I remember it struck me, you know, take a look what a dedicated husband does for a dead wife. We, who have the privilege of living with somebody we should treat as our own queen, we should do no less. Now that is what happened here with the kitchen. And I'm still trying to figure out the way to keep my wife happy, but <laughs> hey. I'll, I'll, I'll follow those footsteps. What do you, what do you think it's been such a, uh, um, received with such open arms, our big kitchens? There are other kitchens that open up, but they haven't quite had the um, embrace that our big kitchen has had. So I'll tell you, Diego, so what happened was, just continuing on from the story, was that when, so I decided to build a kitchen. Now, unlike Shah John, who had, servants and resources and gold and silver and rupees and God knows what, um, I was not in the same position. And I needed the support of the building industry to build it for us. 
And I began by asking questions. You know, we are created with one mouth and two ears. Let's listen more than we speak. I started asking, instead of coming to a builder and saying, I want you to help me keep my wife happy or build what I think is important, and your reception is going to be very, very limited. I started asking builders, tell me what's important to you. Okay. And I realized that whatever they said is something that we can and should be doing. Mm -hmm. So whether it was homelessness, whether it was social isolation, whether it was bringing people from different backgrounds together, whether it was giving people opportunities to start businesses, these are all things you could do within a kitchen. A kitchen like we have is no different than the dining room at your, at your home, mm. just on a bigger scale. Mm. And a, a, in a healthy family, in a prop, proper environment, everybody goes out to do their thing during the day. They come back, sit around the dinner table, Everybody brings their highs, their lows, their challenges, their opportunities, and they get resolved around the kitchen table. This is what we've tried to do over here. I think we have listened a great deal and are doing the programs that are important to the people who come here. And I, do, I did see you know, stories of you yourself getting, getting in the mix when building it, uh, you know, putting some concrete down yourself, mixing up yourself and assisting the builders. Diego, the building, the building time had two parts. There was one, one sense of you know, insecurity. Will we finish it? How's it going to work? I was very confident we'll see it through. And there was a lot of concern from others saying, oh, you'll, you'll never finish, a lot of criticism. But at the same time, these were builders, none, none of them being paid. Everybody, every single inch of building that happened here, every centimeter, I should really say, my American's coming back, every centimeter of building that happened over here happened through the courtesy of the building industry. It was a beautiful time where people of all backgrounds and all cultures were building a dream together. And what happened was, you know, I approached some engineers and some builders mm -hmm. and they didn't have the ability to be here all the time. So I got trained up very, very quickly and became their apprentice. So yes, it was boots and all I on the ground that. to make it happen. I love that. And what made you what made you come to Australia initially? So my coming to Australia. What is the background? The background is that I, I living happily in New York and traveling the world. Yeah. Friends introduced me to this young woman who was a Sydney girl, Leah, Leah Barber at the time. Um, and if it came from a couple of directions where people said, you know, I we know I know you and I know her, and I'm thought you guys got to catch up. You got to catch up for you got to catch up. You got to catch up. So after a little while, we it was more of a big while because the, the geographic was a bit hard. We met, yeah. And um, initially, and she had heard the same thing. Initially, both of us were quite surprised. Yeah. What did people see that we shared in common? Because neither of us saw it. The first couple of the first couple of meetups. Um, but then slowly we started, it started growing on each of us and um, we got engaged, married, and I was quite open in terms of where I was going to live. Mm -hmm. so when our, we lived in New York for a period of time and then came across over here. Yeah. Uh, our eldest son was born and we never looked back. Prefer here? Well, I voted with my feet. You know, to me, it was important. I was blessed to be to grow up in a neighborhood where the rabbi was Rabbi Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, a very, very great man, a real tower of spirituality and of humanity. And it was his belief that young couples, rather than staying in 
big Jewish communities yes. to go out to smaller Jewish communities, relative, and to share the beauty and the richness of our tradition with them. So as Leah said to me, look, you want to live far from home, I want to live close to home. This, is going to look, this will work really well. And that's how it happened. And what, what's your thoughts on spirituality? Was she a spiritual person as extremely, well? Extremely. Yeah? Extremely. A lot more spiritual than I'll ever be. And mm, getting some noise. Oh, we can hear them get, coming in. Early. Yeah. By the way, Diego, yes. is that camera rolling? Yes. Oh, you, know, you do what you got to do. You got to come in, bring the troops. Just before we go. <laughs> so I think, should we move into there or move upstairs? I can, I can take you to a quiet place if you want. Yeah, yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah, that would be amazing. Okay. Is it a problem if we started over here when you continue? No, that's this? not a problem. We'll, we'll head over there and we'll, we'll cut and let them know. Let's go. Not a problem. We were just leaving off just whilst everyone was uh, coming in for another session. A lot of a lot of people uh, coming into OBK there today. So we've just moved up here. So then we've got schools, schools and groups and... Yeah. So we, we, there's all sorts of... We have very few staff. Yep. Very many volunteers. Mm -hmm. And participants, people are school groups, or people running their own businesses, or corporate team buildings, or uh, government departments. So it's it's really an ability, an opportunity for people to leave their worries behind, their work behind, come in, put an apron, scrub up, hear that, start cooking, sharing, creating meals, which get distributed to tens of charities. Having these figures from different styles of life. Like what, what are the politicians that have come here? It's not just one side, right? You've had both sides coming through. Having, well, having I've, been, these... I've been in my business always, yeah. particularly with politicians and people who, who can seem to be polarizing, to realize that yes, we have different views. And that's okay. Having different views is very human. If you and I think identical, one of us are extra. You see, so it's important to have different views and to respect those views and to learn from those views. Societies where there were many views that came together were richer for it. And I would like to believe that in a country like Australia, you, know, you could have a situation where there's a country, there's a particular, you know, we just had last week the vote on the yes or no vote. And what, what every individual's opinion is, and people are entitled to their views and people have very strongly held views. But those views are resolved peacefully and respectfully in the, toll, in the poll booth. And when the decision comes down, that becomes everybody's decision. And that is super important. That separates a developed society from an archaic society. And when you have politicians that come down here, we, we have this all the time, they've come together here. Politicians from opposite sides of the aisle. By coming here, what they're saying is, yes, we may have different views, and in Parliament we'll argue, and, and we'll argue for every vote, and we, this is our passion, this is our world. But at the same time, there's something greater about our, our great democracy, which says we can come in, cook side by side, because there are those who need to be fed, and together we'll get a better result. We can't escape what, what is going on right now. What is your thoughts of Australia's involvement in Israel? There's all these talks. Our Prime Minister's taken a trip to America, but he's said that he's not going to Israel. What are your thoughts on that? So I thought, as I, I you know, we, it, it's, it's, it fits exactly what we spoke about a minute ago. So in Australia, yeah. at this very same time, the country is polarized and it's resolved in the, in the, in the, in the, you know, in the voting booth. Yeah. 
Israel is a democracy, a liberal democracy with very strongly held views. Israel has just endured one of its most divisive years internally. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Fiery protests erupting in the streets tonight. This comes just hours after embattled Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu dismissed his defense minister. That cabinet member said he would not support Netanyahu's attempts to take power from the judiciary. The battle over Netanyahu's plans is now intensifying. Protest, strong views, editorials in newspapers, accusations. There hasn't been, to my knowledge, a single hand lifted to hit somebody else. And if it happened, it was a very, very isolated case. There is a maturity, there is a respect, there is dignity that says, you may not share my opinion, and I'm going to voice that opinion very, very loud, and I'll try to convince you, and I'll try to persuade you. But that's where it finishes. Now, you have a very different set of values in the same neighborhood, in places like Gaza, and in many of Israel's neighbors, Differences are resolved on the battlefield only. That is how differences are resolved. It is a law of the jungle where the stronger wins. Golda Meir very famously said that if Israel has a strong army, there'll be peace. If the Arabs have a strong army, there'll be no Israel. We saw a bit of that. What happens if there's a little crack? The brutality, the, the inhumanity, the deliberate targeting, targeting of innocent children and the elderly is something that should really shock the world. Now, Australia is a democracy, and therefore should, by all means, see eye to eye with another democracy in a different part of the world. And uh, at this point, the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition and government on all levels have been very, very vocal in supporting, supporting Israel, condemning terrorism, and I don't believe there's another way. Now, let's move. I am a rabbi, I'm Jewish, it's a bit hard. I have children, I've been to Israel many times. I could have been, I have friends who we know very well who were murdered, father, mother, Sorry. six-year-old six twins and, a, and, a, and a, um, a baby boy, a four-year-old boy. Um, so my views are obviously gonna be from a very particular perspective. But let's talk about another, another idea. Men or women who, for whatever reason, are gay or lesbian. What happens in Australia? What happens in America? What happens in Israel? In Israel, the highest ranking government officer is the president, Isaac Herzog. Second, Bibi Netanyahu, he's the prime minister. Number three, right behind him, is a man by the name of Amir Ochana. Amir Ochana is the speaker of the Knesset, the speaker of the parliament. Amir Khanna is openly gay and a very proud member of the Israeli gay community. Mm -hmm. What happens to a man who's gay in Gaza? Well, in Israel, they go up at really high levels. He could be number three. In Gaza, they take him up also really high and then throw him off a building or kill him or behead him or some other way to prematurely end his life in the so there is, it's my way or the highway. And if I can kill you, I will, because I can. Now, whether it's a person's personal choice to cho lead a particular lifestyle, that's that person's choice. In a place like Israel, in a place like Tel Aviv, and whether, whether I, as a rabbi, 
respect or condone or, or whatever words you're going to use around homosexuality is a, a discussion for a different time. But as a society, we, we, people can choose to live their lives in ways that they see fit. This, to me, is the contrast between what you see in Israel and what you see in Gaza. And you're right. A lot of televisions have won a large... Uh, Massive. The, it, one of the biggest outside, outside of San Francisco. And it, it tells us people are, are able to live the lives that they choose and be respected. So talking about the history of the, the, the Jewish history and, 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 and God giving the land of Israel to the Jews and things of this nature, these are things that come very natural to me as a rabbi. I want to take this into another sphere and talk about how people who are different than me are treated in Israel and how people different than me are treated in Gaza. What do you think of the queers for Palestine that have been marching on the last couple of marches in Sydney? What do you think? Queers for Palestine. Queers for Palestine. Mm-hmm. I really struggle to understand what's going on. Queers for Palestine makes as much sense as cows from McDonald's or chickens for KFC. You be queer, you take the same sign, queers of Palestine, go, to, go into Palestine, you'll be beheaded, you'll be killed before you could even begin your chant. It's, 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 and part of this is the frustration in a world where people don't seem to understand and to appreciate what liberal democracy means. In a democracy, you vote. You don't like something, it's sorted at the polling booth. Yes. And that's how matters are resolved. In, in really, really heated debates and really heated opinions and very polarizing ones. And that's fine. That is what we do as a mature, developed people. If you are anything but that, it is then an extreme element of terrorists who have zero value for their own lives, they have zero value for the lives of people around them, and definitely no value for anybody who disagrees with them, and less value for people who they can butcher and cheer on. I cannot understand, and I don't even want to try to understand, how people can think in those terms. Where, do you, where did the switch come where the decision came to create that attack? and? Just general land expansion, like that region itself, yeah, so, you may know a lot more yeah, than so I do. Yeah, I'm so, trying to ask questions so, so to I'm, understand yeah, more. So we, we could really have, there's a couple of interviews we can have yeah. about what we do in the kitchen. I want to begin by saying this. The attack took place on Saturday, on Simchat Torah, very, very happy day of the Jewish year. Terrible Which is attack. a horrible, horrible thing, thing to happen. Horrible yeah. thing, okay? So number one, over here in Australia, the attack took place on Saturday, what should have been the happiest day in the Jewish calendar, one of the happiest days in the Jewish calendar. The Tuesday before, Tuesday evening before, I had the privilege of being invited to a dinner with other religious leaders. Okay. Amazing. Hosted by the Premier of New South Wales, Mr. Chris Minns, right, who's been into the kitchen on numerous occasions, we know him very well, a lovely guy. Um, and whether I voted for him or not is totally irrelevant. Lovely guy, doing his work really, really well, and that's how we work as a democracy. 
Among, at the dinner were religious leaders. Among them was the Anglican Archbishop and the Coptic Archbishop, and a gentleman by the name of Ibrahim Abu Muhammad. Ibrahim Abu Muhammad is the leading Muslim cleric in Australia. On the same table, including myself, we sat together and enjoyed an incredibly, incredibly uplifting dinner in a room of hundreds of, of dignitaries representing all faiths in the state. Let me show you, this is, this is a photo here. Amazing. Premier, Mufti, myself, um, wow. and a collection of, of archbishops of different... Now, in that room, every single person in that room has a very strongly held view on religion, as do I. And many of them, or most of them, believe that their way is the only way. And that's okay, but religion should teach us to respect another. Every single person is created in God's image, and that needs to be understood, never forgotten and respected. And whether a person has a particular religion or chooses to have no religion at all, the person still deserves dignity and deserves to be fed, and deserves to be supported and looked after. Definitely. Okay? Now, and which is what's been happening here in the kitchen. Meals of the kitchen, we've never asked who the recipients are. We send them to different charities. We send food to a charity. The charity sends it on to their volunteers, their caseworkers, and it gets to the person. I have no idea what those meals are getting. I know they're being eaten by people, and each and every one of them deserves the dignity and the, and the warmth of a special meal. Now, it is incredibly painful to have to be talking about kindness that charities do in Australia and have to contrast it with hideous crimes taking place in the Middle East. But this is just the reality. One, two weeks ago, this would be a very, very different conversation. 100%. To me, to be invited to, to an event like this, it would, it, it, it's, it's, it's un unthinkable at this stage because of what's taking place elsewhere. And you, would you be happy to do a round table with, you know? With the, with, I'm happy to sit to anybody who's prepared to sit with me. Anybody who's prepared to sit with me, I'm prepared to sit with. Fantastic. And obviously, we're not dealing with people who have misbehaved or, or no, said things. No, but, no, but it, no, no. Decent people, for sure. Yeah. Now, going back to what, what's taken place in... So, as you know, so the areas where... where Palestinians live within Israel, is divided into West Bank and Gaza. Uh, West Bank run by the Palestinian Authority, the PA, and in Gaza, which was initially PA, after Israel pulled out, the they pulled out in 2005, uh, became a place where, the, where Hamas took over. Now, Hamas takeover from, from Fatah was not exactly a, I was about yes, to ask no. about that. It was horrible. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of people don't know that Fatah was, you know, the... I don't know the numbers. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody has numbers. But there were massive amounts of people killed. It was taken over in a, in a, very, in a very violent takeover. And which is what, which, which is what um, Hamas have continued to do since then. Hamas, speak out against Hamas and, you, and you're gone. There's no criticizing of Hamas in Gaza. So 
let me know how much longer we got to talk about this. No, no, this no, no, no. Really, I was about to move on from yeah, from this. Really, this, really this. it is it is it is horrible. Yeah, I know people personally, a family, Tamar and John John, a family who came to us uh, ten years ago, two thousand and. 1213, it was about 2013. My wife and I were out delivering some meals. We got a call, there was a family just before the Sabbath began, yeah. family needed some food. So um, we packed up and ran over to them. We come home literally minutes before sunset, which is when the Sabbath begins, mm -hmm. and when everything goes on hold, no cars, no phones, no nothing. This is just now you deal with your family and the guests and that's it. And in the home there, there's a young couple, an Israeli couple, Tamar and John, John, Jonathan. So, Turns out they were lost walking up and down the street. They had some arrangements for the Sabbath, but some there was some you know, travelers, yeah. it's never quite done. And um, my daughter was standing outside and saw them lost, and they said they're looking for what they were looking for some Jewish center. Mm -hmm. And realizing she she felt that they were, you know, good people. And she said, You sure this is a Jewish center? Come into our home. So they come in and she tells her younger sister, clear our room, make it quick, make the beds look normal. You know, girls' rooms don't always look that organized, organize, get in the organizer. And um, by the time the sun set, the guests turned around and said, this is not a private, this is not an organization, this is not a center, this is a private home. And my daughter says, you're right. And that's our bedroom, or it was, now it's yours. And they said, What's this? I said, well, you fell for it. We tricked you, you fell for it. <laughs> so it was an incredible, incredible weekend. Wonderful people. We became really good friends with them. That one weekend turned into four, five, six months. They were here, and then they would go to Byron, come back, stay with us, and they became very, very involved in what we did in the kitchen. They went visiting hospitals with us, and they went to run, run programs, and they were very talented, and, and they... It was, they, they became part of the family, literally. They went back to Israel and um, married, had twins, twin girls, whose names slipped my mind. I really shouldn't remember them. Um, and they had later a little boy. And um, let's find this for you here. And they're living. They're living there now. They were correct. That's they. They went back to live. So if you have a look, so this is Tamar and John John. In the backpacks. Oh, oh, amazing! Right, living with us, with the kids in the kitchens, just literally going to visit the hospital as part of the family. Amazing. And we we really then my my children went to Israel. They went to visit them. They stayed with them. And they it was literally family. And this is. No way. No way. Yeah. All were murdered. All murdered. So Tamar and John John and Shachar and Arbel, six-year-old, Omer, four-year-old. And on top of that, John John's mother was with him. She was killed as well. Gone. What mother raises a child who is capable of killing Six-year-old and four-year-olds deliberately in, in, a, in a deliberate attack against them. I can't fathom that. I don't even want to try to understand. 
Let's move away yeah. from this. I wanna, Let's move yeah, away from this. Definitely. Let's come back to it. But this is this is this is this is a reality which is taking place. And I say to the world as we know it, mm. people as detached from reality, from queers for Palestine, to every other freedom-loving and freedom-understanding person, I cannot understand, try as I may, how somebody who has the opportunity to live in a democracy where their rights are protected can, can see things differently. This is just, this, it's just very strange. I find it very, very, very strange. But it is what it is. Um, Israel's army needs to be strong. Israel needs to protect itself because very few others in the world are prepared to do it for her. And just moving on from that, because yeah. I can't, yeah, things like that, I don't want to cry on yeah. camera. It Same is here. very sad Same and here. it's a terrible situation. What does a rabbi do as a hobby? Outside of football. cooking, outside of the family? <laughs> is there a bit of football? Is it a bit of jujitsu? No, <laughs> to me, to me, my, my hobby yeah. has always been history. Right, reading, okay, and, reading and understanding history and meeting people yeah. And knowing their stories is, is something which comes to me very naturally and something which there are few things I enjoy more than that. Understanding people, yes. what drives them, what motivates them, and also where they see themselves and where they fit into the bigger picture. And that's true for individuals and true for organizations, understanding the shape of the world, uh, our present world and going back. So any, there's big gaps, obviously, going, we'll, we'll never be capable of understanding everything that happened before us. But those that came before us contributed great things. I really, really enjoy that. So I just, professionally, there's, there's, the, there's the kitchen, which is very, very big, very multifaceted, very consuming, but we'll come back to that in a moment. I'm also chaplain to the ambulance service. Okay. So an ambulance officer is always called on, triple zero means please. Right, I'm in trouble. I need you. Yes. Thank yous. You don't dial triple zero, and nobody says thank you. So being there for the officers during difficult times is very, very important. And I take great joy in being able to know that I could be there for officers who are there for all of us all the time. Um, also, I've had the privilege of establishing something called Gift of Life, which is a bone marrow donor registry. So people having leukemia, which is cancer of the bone marrow, need to find a match, and. Um, I pause because uh, I had a sister who I lost to leukemia, who we lost to leukemia. She had a match, my brother was a match for her, but that is something that anybody in that situation should have, and that can only happen through recruiting people. So we put a lot of work into that. And it assists um, recruiting and finding Correct, right. finding people, yep. recruiting them, getting them tested and what have you. It's a, it's a big world with incredible people doing wonderful things there. It's all about saving lives, and that, that's what it's all about. Um, in addition to that, we've, we've dabbled in other things, training rabbis, running schools. There's been many, many things sitting on ethics committees for the Cancer Institute. So there's been, there's been a lot of, lot of other stuff. And thank God, being a, a child, looking, being with my parents, and then being a spouse, and being a sibling, and being a father to, to, um, to our... You know, when people ask uh, the amount of children, I always say one. It's one Mordechai, one Zevi, one Hannah, one Mendel, one Shana, one Shlomo, one Sarah, one Rivka. <laughs> Our youngest Rivka just turned 10, four boys, four girls, and now a son-in-law, Chaim, a beautiful boy actually from Jerusalem, and a daughter-in-law, Chaya, from the States, beautiful girl, and a grandson, which 
makes it all worth it. What, what's your message to, you know, young fathers out there that are, you know, going through and trying to teach, bringing up their young in, in this world? But your so thoughts? One, what's, rule, one rule to all fathers yes. is that children don't hear anything and they see everything, which means what you tell them means very little. What you do means everything. So if you want your child to live a particular lifestyle, if you want your child to have particular values, if you want your child to have a particular understanding, live them and let the child see them. I love that. Because I've, I've just had a, a little one and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is, is good because, so I teach as well on, on Saturdays and Fridays and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is good because with footy, you have these footy dads that are just like, yeah, they sit back and watch TV and then they expect so much of their son to just do all this, but they're not really demonstrated. They're just watching footy. What I love about jiu-jitsu is that you have to be on the mats and you're literally showing them via actions uh, how to be disciplined. So you're saying exactly what I just told you. It's yeah. not to sit there and watch, tell them what to do, but no. rather get into it. Do what you want them to see. If they see you doing it, they'll want to do the same. How do you work on time management? You do so much. How do you, how do you manage all of this time? How, I have issues with that, trying to get a lot of things done and I, sometimes I feel overwhelmed um, by all of the uh, items and different aspects of my life. You're doing things at a so major things, level. I'll tell you a couple of things. So number one, uh, I live thanks to the Rebbe who I look up to and really Idolize is the wrong word, but the, that's really what would explain it. A man who physically is no longer with us, he's passed almost 30 years ago, and it's, it's unbelievable that he's not here with us, because this is a man who defied nature in terms of what he was able to do and how he managed to achieve what he did in, in a relatively short span of time. Um, I'm also the child of parents who survived the war. So life has a lot of value and people are very, very precious. You know, the Rebbe once was asked, the Rebbe would stand for many, many hours greeting people, encouraging them, making them messengers of good by giving each one a single dollar and telling them, you go and give it to charity. So people would go and this would get them thinking, what more can I do to help others? When the Rebbe was once asked, you're standing on your feet, six, seven, eight hours, you're 89, 90, 91 years old, no break, for, for, for no bodily function, no, no nothing, well, what's this? And then I would say, when you count diamonds, you don't get tired. So if you could connect with people, now I am nowhere near on that level, but to take a leaf out of the Rebbe's book and say that there are, you're dealing with other people, you have an ability to positively impact other people's lives. So you gotta make it work. I put in very long hours, right? I get into the office very early, I can stay back very, very late. My wife is very understanding and very supportive. We're partners in all that we do. Um, I wish I had more time. I wish I had other, more talents. I wish we could do more. I know that what we have here with the kitchen has the ability to impact people's lives in a very, very real way. And I think for, for, for us, to think that I've come to the world and I've left the world and it's exactly as I found it and I've done little or nothing to make it better, that would be a wasted life. We don't want that.
a couple of programs that we do here. Yes. So you would have seen young people coming here from school. Schools yes. are a place where parents can come to and drop their kids there for 12 years while the kids are going to school, never saying hello to each other. They pass each other like ships in the night. Okay? Most of them don't even know each other, you know, except for the one parent of double parks, and the parent everybody knows that one. We say, come to the kitchen, cook, get to know each other around, around the food. And that is very powerful because today we give a meal to a homeless person upstream three years ago, three months ago, 30 years ago, who knows when. That connection would have meant that the person feels valued and they would never come to the position of being homeless. We have programs here for birthday parties. Kid turns eight, instead of saying, I turn eight and you'll give me, and you'll give me, and you'll give, instead, and the kid is selfish, you know, I wonder why. Right? Whom can I help is the real question. And that's a real gift you give your child. We have programs for corporate team buildings. Great fun. Companies go to do team building. More and more companies are seeing the value of bringing teams together, especially now after COVID. Let's work together. Let's see each other. Let's talk to each other. Yeah. And um, you could go doing wonderful things, you know, by water rafting and paintball shooting and rock climbing, all wonderful things. That's great. Do that. Do that. I'm not stopping. But once you've done that, come into the kitchen, cook as a team. Yeah. It's great fun. And what we do here is we break them up into small groups. And they compete like a MasterChef style. Oh, and every, nice. every team has to put up the best dish. And then the winner gets a trophy. And it's really incredible to see how gamifying something takes them away from what they were doing. And they're enjoying themselves. And in the end, beautiful, beautiful meals go out to the shelters, to the women's refuges. You're helping not only the people who live there, but also the staff and the volunteers and the caseworkers. They're fighting a challenge. How do you encourage somebody to get out of this downward spiral that they're in? When they see a company like Atlassian or Google or, 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 or Salesforce or many others, I shouldn't really give names, but, but we're talking about the big banks, the Westpacs yeah. and, the, and the JP Morgans are, are in here. Yeah. And the caseworkers tell me, they hand them a meal with a company name in it. And the homeless person says, I had no, why is, are they in the food business? No, they're in the people business. Yeah. And they have taken out a day to help you. So maybe you should look at the world differently and not think that everything is black, dark, and, and ugly. Yeah. There, are good, there are good people out there. Very, very important. We let people start businesses. We give them space to start a food business in the kitchen. So somebody's got this great recipe, you know, my wife, my aunt's muffin recipe, if I get onto the market, I put McDonald's out of business. I'm doing products as well. Of course, ah. of course. So we have several, we have several businesses that have started here with us. And once they've developed, they've gotten their rhythm, they've gotten out there. And many others have come in here, tried it, and said, look, I was born an accountant, I'll die an accountant, food business is not for me. <laughs> I watch one too many shows of MasterChef and you go back to your day job. But you didn't hurt anybody in the process. That's, that's, that's critical. And we do many, many programs like that, including things like hen's nights before a wedding. Instead of it being a situation where what's in it for me, how silly can I be? That's not really the way to start a wedding. How to get the can really How can I share? How can I give? Yeah. What can I give to somebody else? And that makes the basis for a wedding. We have programs here with schools year 12. So at the end of 12 years of learning, and this, you came into the school a child, you're leaving now, you know, uh, almost an adult or an adult, mature, ready to take on the world with all these skills that you've gotten. And what, are, what would students do before they leave? They have a mock-up day. Yeah. So what does mock-up day mean? It means that my thank you to the school is 
to see how much I can destroy, how much disruption I can cause. And I'm sure there's some sort of reason, it just doesn't quite resonate with me. We have schools coming in here now. You want to mock up, that's fine, but come in here, cook, bake, create meals, take it back and serve all those teachers who taught you. What a beautiful way to begin the next stage of your life. So, uh, so there's all this food being thrown out that we rescue. All these people going hungry who we want to feed, and people in the middle who really want to help. And bringing that together is really key. One of the really cute things that we do over here is singles nights. Okay, right. so singles okay. nights. So if you've gone to a singles night and nothing happened, you just um, you know wasted your time. Yeah. So you come back and this is what you do. You block the person who told you to go and you never call them again and that's it. Um, um, Are the keys? No problem. Oh, I got a, I got a few few mates that I've been trying to <laughs> connect. That uh, no, that's fantastic. So we'll come back. Singles nights, right? So yeah. now, what we do over here is fifteen guys, fifteen girls, and a chef come into the kitchen. And perspective is number one, very important when it comes to singles. Yeah. I may be single. I'm not very happy about it, but I'm cooking for people who are single, homeless healthless, jobless. Mm. My situation is not so bad. Mm. Then you come around, you sit around the table, you're peeling carrots. If there's no interest around the table, you look at you say, you know, I'm gonna go fry onions where the action is. People move around. What we find is girls are very attractive guys that can cook. That's true. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. So I don't know why, but my partner looks better. In I'm not even going to finish that sentence. And, and, and guys are coming to terms with girls who can't cook. Very changing landscape. Okay? Yeah. The funniest is a guy walks in here. He's never cooked in his life. Gets into the kitchen. He reads the room. And three minutes later, he's a celebrity chef. He knows it all. It's amazing. <laughs> and when it's finished, we bring them out to the room where we have where we dim the lights, we have a candle at dinner, oh, and things happen. Beautiful. And how do people get involved? Like a corporation wants to get their team website, for a building? Website, website, yep. website. We get, we'll get back to you very, very quickly. Beautiful. Go onto the website, yep. drop us a line, and, yep. uh, and come on board. And that'll be all in the description. Thank you so much. A privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank I, you. I really do, I really do appreciate Anytime. your time. Thank you. Praise God, bro.